You're listening to Rust Belt Running. Running is what makes me realize that, like, I'm a human being who is worth something. That is not a good measurement of my value as a human. We get between eight and 10,000 additional comments, and I read every one of them. So you had to run Sand Run for your first. You become race director and take it out. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's got to be old guy naked in the locker room. I, I get to spend time with my friend Adam. I get to do something with my friend. Right now, I'm not thinking much beyond what I'm going to be drinking next week at this time. Coleslaw on a taco is not taco, it's barbecue. And so we'll be discussing tonight with some occasional swear words from Andrew because he's upset. And that's okay. I know him as the biggest Kid Rock fan around. You rap that. <laughs> oh, dear God. You're listening to Rust Belt Running. I'm Adam Wheeler, joined as I always am by Andrew Henninger. You can find me on social media at Wheels Up in CLE. You can find Andrew on social media at Andrew Runs a Lots. If you want to find the pod on social media, you can find us at Rust Belt Running. Andrew, how are you doing? You know, this is... If the people are hearing me say this right now, it's the first time we tried to record this week and it worked. So yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Um, no, I'm doing well. I am, uh, you know, coming off an awesome Father's Day where I got like the most Father's Day dad gift ever. Which was? Uh, I got I got a pair of Echo Buds. Uh, <laughs> Why is that the most Father's Day gift ever? Okay, did you, did you ever watch Modern Family? Oh, yeah. I am Phil Dunphy. Like, and there's the one episode where he is getting all the electronic products yes. and all that. And I mean, and that's like 10 years ago. So that was yeah. even before. I mean, can you imagine Phil Dunphy now with everything being voice activated and all of that? Yeah. Uh, but I am Phil Dunphy. And I think what it is as a dad, I think you get where you just want everything to be as productive as possible. Yeah. And uh, so even now, I want my earbuds to be productive. <laughs> it's just silly. It's but it's really it's, it's it's funny that you say that you're Phil Dunphy because on Twitter, I don't know, like a year or two ago, there was a you know post for pictures of of what TV characters like you are, like make up who you are, and and I had actually posted that one of the four characters that make me who I am would be Phil Dunphy. I have that very, even though I'm not a dad, I have that very goofy sense of humor. Um, I tell, I don't have kids, but I tell a lot of dad jokes at work when, especially when things are slow and we need something to break up the monotony. And it's that, it's, that's very much Phil Dunphy. When I watch that show, I'm like, holy shit, that's something I would do. That's so Phil and it's so me. My favorite Phil Dunphy line in the entire show is, uh, he shakes somebody's hand after he had burned some lady fingers. Yes. Oh, I burned. He's my just lady like. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are there are two specific Phil Dunphy moments that I've always just absolutely loved. The first one is from the first season when Claire's meeting an old friend and he gets um he gets stuck in a porta potty because people are doing like work on the water lines outside his yes. house. It's okay. He's in the bathroom <laughs> yeah. and he gets stuck in there because a the car parks in front of it. And uh, he pokes his head out and Claire's like, what are you doing? Oh, just concluding some business rather successfully. I might add, <laughs> he's actually been like trying to do some real estate business. And then the other one is when he makes the book for Haley philosophy. 
And it's just all these crazy Phil sayings that have absolutely no meaning whatsoever. And the show ends with members of the family reading these things and like, you know, people like Jay, who is just so straight laced, <laughs> just the face, like, what the hell am I reading? What is this? I, I love the one where he's in the porta potty because that was when he was uh, trying out. And the dude, the dude who had come up to tell him, like, we're working on the water lines, had a mustache. Yes. And Phil's just like, nice mustache. And the guy turns back, you too, bro. <laughs> and he's just so excited about you being too, called bro, bro by this dude. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, what are you doing? Just testing out the new soup strainer. <laughs> It's not where it's not on our outline anywhere. But not at yeah, all. This this is a good oh, way to start. Gosh, um, uh, one other really funny Modern Family moment that I never caught before because I didn't watch the entire series, so there are episodes okay. that I had missed. And yeah, my wife was watching one time a few weeks back, and uh, Cam and Jay were playing racquetball, and they were in the locker oh. room. Oh, and when they, and they, <laughs> yeah, their butts touch and Cam's like, you can't tell me that's your first moon landing. I lost it. You have a oh, name for it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The back of my head hurts from laughing already. Um, oh. So I, you had. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes. Love <sighs> now that we have this like new streaming service that we're using, we could uh, maybe do a. We just do like a modern family watch party. There you go. Make that a whole episode. God, so uh, you had <laughs> you had an eventful weekend as well. Uh, mine ended with Father's Day. You started pretty badass. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Um, you know what? What made <clears throat> what made that race even better? So I, I ran a race Friday night in Tremont. Um, it's a 10-mile race that I've done before. It's part of the Towpath trilogy that I've done in years past. But traditionally, they ran the race the morning of Father's Day. And uh, they decided to do it Friday evening before Father's Day instead because it started down in Tremont. It was a new course uh, to showcase some of the new areas on the Towpath. And they did it in the evening because they wanted racers then to be able to go and go to different bars and restaurants in Tremont, kind of that neighborhood connection sort of thing. And you can't, can't go to the bar in Tremont on a Sunday morning. So um, what was really cool about that race was that Thursday night when I went to bed, I did not think the race was going to happen. The weather forecasters were predicting doom and Armageddon for Friday night. And it was supposed to hit like right at five. There's supposed to be these huge storms that were going to come through at like basically five to nine, right when the race was going to be happening. And so I was at work on Thursday night and I was a grumpy asshole because I've trained for five months for this race. And I didn't think it was going to happen. It's like, shit, I need to do this. Um, I've been tapering. I want to see where my fitness is at. Um, I want to actually get out and race. It's the first true race cycle I've completed in two and a half years. And uh, Friday afternoon, things shifted and uh, the weather cooperated, which Mother Nature doesn't do that often for us up here in Northeast Ohio. And no. got the got the race and it was hot. You, you, it was funny. You texted me because you were down in the Cleveland area earlier that day and it was about 65. You're like, oh man, the weather's perfect right yeah. now. And I texted back, 
yeah, and it's going to be 20 degrees hotter in the next three hours. It, it took three hours, and I got up to about 85. Um, yeah, no, it was a great race. I finished um, – I am humble. I don't like to brag about where I finished. You did that for me after a couple of beers. But I finished fifth overall. Um, I won my age group. Um, I took five minutes and two seconds off my PR at the distance. Uh, it was a 6.16 mile. Um. And what's really fun about it now, man, is I texted you this yesterday. I plugged in, like, what does this predict for what a fall marathon would look like? And the time came up, and it's it's a monster time. And it's a time that's, frankly, a little intimidating. Um, just because it's not something that at the beginning of the year I would have imagined myself being, I don't know, I guess, capable of doing. Right. But when I but when I look at the training paces, they're the paces that I've been doing for the last five months. And so not looking at the overall time down the road, but just looking at the day to day, this is what I need to do. I look at it and I go, okay, that's what I've been doing. So if I just keep doing what I've been doing, um, I might have something really special coming up in the fall. I've got to put in the work. It's 16 weeks of work now. Um, but I'm right. really, really excited about it. Uh, so yeah. It was it was a good it was a good day. I had a friend text me that night and I was telling her like I'd forgotten how good this feels. Like I've done some smaller races and things like that, but I haven't fully trained for a race in two and a half years. And I just had this feeling of just blissful contentment Friday night. Like I left everything out there and I didn't run a perfect race. Like I started out too fast. It was way too hot. Um, the last two miles are uphill. And so in 80 degree heat trying to go uphill, um, there was very much this feeling of holding on towards the end. Uh, it's, it's a race that if I was doing it over again, I would run it very differently so that I had more left in the tank at the end. But it's like, I also had this feeling like I left every single little bit of myself out on the race course. And I felt really good about that. And I was just sitting there Friday night in my parents' family room. And I'm like, had this feeling of just blissful contentment. Like this is what it feels like for, to have those things go right. And it's, Right. It's a good feeling, man. We haven't had a lot of that the last couple of years. You know, I, so you, you had said something about your, you were kind of doing a little calculating on what your time, you know, what, what you could run in the fall. Yeah. And uh, I had come back with another question and ask you, what was your Paul Ryan time? <laughs> and- <laughs> Near world record, baby. <laughs> yes, man. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If you, you've heard it five million times on our intros, um, us yelling you ran that at the very end of our intro. Well, that's from the Paul Ryan time calculator where you can figure out what your official Paul Ryan time uh, would be. And that that's uh, I don't even remember what episode you'd have to go back to to oh, listen to us talk away. about that. Yeah, that's a long time ago. But uh, yeah, your your Paul your Paul Ryan uh, time is is your Paul Ryan adjusted marathon time would be two oh six. So you, you're just three minutes away from a new Paul Ryan certified world record. <laughs> I I love everything. I love everything about because it's it's just this cheap little website. But I love that it ends with you ran that. I yes. love with it. I love that it's an adjusted time. <laughs> Paul Ryan's certified world record. 
Uh, we are uh, off to a flying start. So I'm kind of where you're at with running. Um, you know, right now I am running a lot better, really a lot better than I thought I would be. Uh, yeah. for, be for being just a few months past uh, surgery. Gosh, I have cried laughing way too much on this episode so far. That means it's good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I you know, I'm in a better spot than I thought I would be. I'm running better times than I thought I would. And uh, at one, I ran 12 miles on Saturday and it yeah. was the most effortless 12 miles I think I've ever run. And like that 808 or whatever my average pace was really felt that easy. Like mm-hmm. it felt easy. It did not feel like my effort was low. It didn't feel like a mid low effort or, you know, there's so many varying degrees of effort and uh, even of low effort, it really felt very, very low effort. And I could not believe it when I was finished with it. Uh, I was very hungry. That's one thing that I've not adjusted to is the absolute hangry aspect of running. I was like eight miles in and I was thinking not, I was only thinking about the burrito I was going to be shoving in my face hole afterwards. But I, yeah, earlier in the week I had run, uh, I went out to do my 5k time trial and I, my first mile was six Oh six. I was like, well, shit, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> and then I, uh, I was like, well, whatever, keep it up, I guess. And I ran a six Oh eight and then I died Shortly after that second mile uh, clicked off. But I really thought to myself, I was like, I could do a 5K like this. I I could run these paces for a 5K. Like, I know I was, I I stopped. I probably could have come close to finishing that day. I just thought it was stupid to keep going. Right. Just based on what my motivation is right now. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't, that's why I called the dogs off. Uh, but I, I really want to, I want to use a race environment to try to absolutely smash my five, my post high school 5k PR, which is 1949. Mm-hmm. Cause I think I could beat that by like a minute the way I'm running right now. And a, and a race environment is the perfect yeah. place to, to test that out. And, and like something, something I was thinking about when you were talking about how you, you started out really fast and you called off the dogs. Um, when we, when you and I were texting Friday night, you asked me for my splits and I sent you my splits and my second mile was a, was a six Oh two. And you said something like you had to have shit yourself when you saw a six Oh two on your watch for your second mile. And the thing is that the course started downhill. So that second mile was largely a, a pretty steep downhill mile. But yes, yes, I saw the 602 and went, well, that's not how I planned on starting. And um, but it was a race environment. And it was one of those things like I right. I think I was in my head more than I've ever been in a race, um, probably in large part because I hadn't raced truly in two and a half years. Uh, but I was constantly just sort of like calculating and recalculating where I was. And I don't race well in the heat. I don't like racing in the heat. I like training in the heat. You and I talked about this. Right. Uh, we love the adaptations, but racing in the heat sucks. Um, and so there was very much this feeling of like, man, I've got to try to hang on here. Like, I don't want to blow up and die. Um, but at the same time, I was like, no, this is a race environment. And I was lucky because I was 
I was up front. I finished fifth, but I was near a couple of guys that I was basically kind of like able to hang on to for a while. Yeah. And so every time I had a little bit of doubt, it was like, nope, just keep focusing on the back of that guy and just try to stay with him and you'll be okay. And um, I was able to do that. So like there was that feeling of if I'd been doing that in training, I would have called off the dogs because I feel like right. I would have completely blown up. But in a race environment, it's like, nah, you just kind of find that way to dig down deep and keep going and, and it works out and it ended up working out for me. I mean, I, I at one point in my late, I felt my legs buckle. I felt my entire body sort of buckle. And I was like, oh shit, I still have two uphill miles to go. How am I going to get through this? And it was just one of those like little humps you have to get over in a race where your body is like, dude, are you sure you want to keep doing this? And somehow I just kind of kept pushing and I got over that little hiccup and, you know, I don't know if it's possible to hit a wall in a 10 mile race, but that was my wall and I got through it and it worked out fine. I think it's possible to hit a wall in a race of any distance. Yeah. So I, yeah. So Friday night we have down here in Canton, the uh, Jackson night glow in North Canton. Okay. So uh, it's a, it's a 5k race. It's, it's like at night, like it's at like nine o'clock. Okay. I think Uh, that's why it's called the night glow. But it's, it's a really cool event. I haven't been there in a few years, but I want to do it this year and, and go after that 5k time. I'm just really right now also enjoying running fast and short distances, even though I'm putting in those longer, slower miles. Mm-hmm. Like this, this 5k. And then I have a five miler on the third of July. It's usually on the fourth, but it's going to be on the mm-hmm. third this year. Uh, that that's, that's going to be happening as well. And I'm really pumped for that. <clears throat> it's, it's been a good, like, I feel like where I'm at now, uh, there's been a good mix of mileage and effort and now throwing some of these shorter races in that are kind of bringing me back to that feeling of racing and, uh, Man, this really setting me up for a some a badass summer of training. So maybe in October, at one, two, or three half marathons, I can experience what you were experiencing on Friday, which is that feeling of just I don't just yeah. You had to be high as hell. Yeah, like just I, I love it when you're like almost confused as to how that run happened. Was that kind like? Where you're just like, I can't believe I did that. Like, did I really just run that pace at that effort? Or were you just like, yeah, I trained my ass off. That's why that happened. Um, there's a little bit of both. And I think this goes back to something you and I talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about how our goals going into this year were really more thinking about next year. And, and I told you that you know, that had been pretty much my, my plan until things started really going well in training. And then it was like, well, if it's going this well, I don't want to waste a race cycle. And you said like, if you wait too long, you're going to waste a really good year. Right. And so, um, you know, I really kind of, I really kind of dropped the hammer. I actually revised my training paces in the middle of this cycle because I was constantly beating the times that I had laid out for myself at the beginning of it. Right. Um, but even then I was beating those times. Like if you look at the 616 pace that I ran, that's pretty much what I've consistently been doing in my tempo runs uh, throughout probably the latter half of training. So I had that, I had that experience. Now it's always hard training in the spring for a race that's in, you know, the late spring or early summer because you're training in very vastly different temperatures. 
I mean, six weeks ago on Mother's Day, it was snowing. And then <laughs> right. that ended and we got the really hot weather. Um, where I had some confidence was in the hot weather, my body was still able to really handle those paces. It wasn't like as the temperature got warmer, my body was like, dude, you got to slow down. We can't handle this. Um, I was I was doing just fine with it. So I had that confidence that I could handle that pace. But I think because I went into the cycle without a real clear sense of where my fitness was, um, there was a part of me that was like, this is really where you're going to kind of see if what you've been doing is just a really good cycle of training and you've had some really nice days where you've been able to run or if you really have the fitness to pull this off. Um, so there was a little bit of both. There was the, yeah, I've trained really well and I've been doing this for a while and, and I felt good. But there was also, I don't know, I think I had some doubt just because I I haven't trained consistently for two years. I don't have that that backdrop that you typically need to have to kind of level up in your training. Right. Um, but, you know, we've talked about this. I I see a physical therapist now. Um, I've been doing more posterior train work, especially on my back to counteract some of the stuff that happens with me at work where I'm constantly like, I mean, in the service industry, you're constantly like, lifting things up above your head. When I'm pouring drinks, I'm constantly like doing stuff up front. So like my back gets weak. Uh, and I think paying more attention to that, even though it's not running related, has helped my running because it's counteracting some of the lifestyle things that can hold you back. Just like people who sit too long need to stretch their hip flexors and work on strengthening their butt because the sitting does damage to them. Um, so I think now to kind of roundabout answer your question, I have that answer. Like, yes, you're fit enough to do this. You don't have to wonder now if you're capable of doing this. And I can take that confidence into training for the fall and just say, this is what you're capable of doing. Yeah. Keep repeating what you've been doing on a daily basis. Don't get too fixated on the, the large goal time, but just keep doing on a daily basis what you've been doing and good things are going to happen. And that's, that's my mindset. The keep showing up thing from Desi Linden really does pay off, doesn't it? Yeah. It's 100% true. I mean, I, I, you know, to see what I've seen uh, in myself is, uh, and over this heat, like, cause I'm, I'm experiencing some of the same things, you know, you were kind of, when, when you're, when you're talking about how you were running those paces in the heat, like when I run this easy effort on Saturday, I'm thinking to myself, like halfway through, I'm like, okay, I'm running like a 755 mile, you know, towards mm -hmm. the end because it was a little negative. Yeah. Uh, my splits. And I'm like, this is so easy. It's humid as hell right now. Mm -hmm. And it's still like upper 70s, even though it wasn't like 80s, like it has been. I'm like, this really translates to like sub seven miles in a race environment you know, with cooler weather in the fall. Yeah. Like even over a half marathon or marathon distance, like this, yeah. this is translating to something much faster than I've done in the past. And I'm just like, how I just don't, I, I, the only thing I can think of, the only variable in all of this is the year off during the pandemic. I really do think there is something to not having trained for eight months, 10 months out of the year. I mean, I, it makes no sense to me. I have no other basis to like, uh, there's no other variable that makes it make sense that you and I are running where we are right now. I mean, yes, we've, you've, you've been seeing, uh, uh, Dr. Tim. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and so, but I've only seen Varel once, so I can't, I can't be like, Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah. And that, that was a week and a half ago, two weeks yeah. ago. So that, that doesn't explain anything about my running, you know, back at the beginning of June, I do have one thing that I'll talk about eventually. That's really helped me out. And it's not pork. Oh man, there's a transition. Yeah, no, this is, I can't. Uh, uh, okay, I'm I'm going to tease this. Um, there is one journey that I've been on, and uh, Adam knows about it. A few other people do. Uh, I haven't talked about it publicly yet, uh, but I'm really excited to at some point here in the very, very near future. Um, it's a good story. It's a very good story. Yeah. So, yeah, keep your, uh, yeah, well, well, I don't know what we're going to do. We'll do something. Yeah. But one day. Uh, there'll, all right. There'll be time to talk about that. So pork, yeah, you, we, you mentioned we, pork though. <laughs> I, I did. I did. I did. Yeah. That burrito, I was, <laughs> that burrito I was talking about getting after, uh, you know, about eight miles into my, uh, my long run on Saturday, it, it was uh, half carnitas and steak. So I, I definitely had some pork in there. Oh boy. So Shelby Houlihan, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is one of those things I don't know what to say about. And um, you know, you and I, you and I have been texting about this over the last few days, just kind of like our takes on it. And what I find interesting is that as I was reading through the newsletter that was really that really informed me about what's going on with Shelby Houlihan, I realized just how little I actually know about doping and anti-doping. And um it makes this whole thing a bigger mess because you know, you and I have you and I have taken some very strong stances on athletes and coaches that have been implicated in the doping. Alberto Salazar being, you know, one A on our list right. of of bad guys. Um, and what makes this whole case so much more complicated is, you know, Salazar had been implicated in things like this for years. Um, you know, and Steve Magnus had blown the whistle on him with a lot of the things that he was doing uh, to get around some doping rules. Um, there was just, there was all sorts of smoke with Alberto Salazar. Shelby Houlihan runs for Bowerman. She runs for, you know, um, was it Jerry Schumacher? Uh-oh. Let me pull this up really quick. Um, yeah, Jerry Schumacher and Shalane Flanagan's an assistant coach there. And, you know, you talk about people for whom the reputations are as solid as can be. And it makes all this so much more complicated and, you know, what I think about with this is you think about to the steroid era in baseball and how it was one of those things where, you know, when baseball players talked about it after the fact, you know, it was basically like, oh, yeah, you know, everybody knew this stuff was going on. It's like, well, why didn't anybody say anything? If everybody knew this was going on, why didn't anybody say anything? Because what ended up happening was as fans and media, you got to the point where you had to say, well, shit, anybody putting up big numbers yeah. – can we trust them? You know, Jim Tomey hits over 600 home runs. Guy was never implicated in anything. There was never even a hint that anything there was wrong. But because other people were putting up giant numbers at the same time, there's always that little bit of like, well, could he have? I mean, Lance Armstrong right. tested negative for years winning all those Tour de France's until he finally got caught. You know, then he came out and the guy wasn't even – Guy didn't even have any remorse about it. He's like, shit, I would do it again to win those things. So it just, 
it makes all this so hard. You know, I, I'm going to get your initial thoughts and then I'm going to read part of a part of a newsletter from a, a running um, a member of the running media because uh, Mario Frioli is so much more knowledgeable about this stuff than I am. And when I see him struggling with it, I realize how much I don't know about it, which makes it hard for me to have any sort of specific take. Um, but yeah, I want to hear your initial thoughts because I know we've been talking back and forth on this for a few days. I, uh, I, I'm skeptical of any endurance athlete. I really am. And it sucks. It It sucks. sucks. That's what the sports come to. I mean, and it's not, uh, it's not my fault that it's come to that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's all, it's all, it's all these, these dirty athletes. It's all their fault. Uh, but I, I, my initial thought to all of this was I, there was an overwhelming uh, sense of support yeah. for Shelby Houlihan. Yeah. Uh, immediately, which I, f- I found to be interesting. And I, I don't want to be woke, so to speak, but we have athletes of other ethnicities and countries and origins and brands that you know maybe don't run for nike (laughs) and and if they're like what what do we do if this is some uh west african runner who tests positive like this and then blames it on pork (laughs) right well what's our react we would laugh we would seriously just cough and be like yeah get the fuck out of here yeah but no cute white runner who runs for bowerman no can't be it must be the pork. It's the most ridiculous. <laughs> if this is known and it clearly she knew that this is found in pork because they, they were very quick to come out with this after her test result. Well, she failed the test in December. So this was after an appeal. So the quickness to it was, this has been going on now for months, which I didn't know. Like, you know, that's not something I knew. I'm, as I'm reading through this newsletter, I'm seeing that and and saying like, okay, so this was something that they've been working on for a while. Um, But even then, like, why was there so little transparency on this from anti-doping agencies? Like, this is what hurts the sport. It's not just the athletes that hurt it, dirty athletes. It's that you have these governing bodies that are supposed to be promoting the sport. And part of promoting the sport is making sure that fans can watch the sport and feel that the governing bodies are doing what they need to do to ensure clean competition. Right. And if you're not transparent about it, um, you know, it's like baseball with, with, with the doctoring of baseballs right now. It's, it, it's the same as a area. Like, Oh, well, everybody knows this has been going on. Well, shit. If everybody knows that, what are you guys doing to make sure that it's being done in a way that's fair so that pitchers can't do too much? Like, a no-hitter doesn't have any meaning anymore. We've had, what, six or seven so far, and it's not even the midpoint of the year? Yeah, the next one's the record for the season. Yeah. You know, so it's like as a fan, you look at it and go like, well, shit, can I really get excited about a no-hitter if these things are going on all the time? And if baseball knows all these things are happening, um, why aren't you doing more to ensure that they don't? And so that's where, you know, you come out and say very reasonably, well, shit, they had this excuse locked and loaded and ready to go. Well, it doesn't help that none of us know that this has been going on since December. Right. It's just, it's just so weird. Cause it, it, it 
adds that conspiracy theory sort of layer to it. Yeah, USADA is definitely Unwada. I mean, I, I don't. Yeah. Well, and then there was the whole disaster with the, the USATF on uh, Thursday night where they had listed her on the start lists yeah. for her heats on Friday. And it's like, wait, what? You're going to you're going to let her run in the trials. Right. With heats. It's I mean, if it's a single event, OK. I still disagree with it fully, but right. heats. <laughs> You're gonna just let the top four go from her heat if she's in it just in case? No, you're not because that's right. not how it works. I mean, f- fortunately, all her appeals and stuff didn't come through in time, anyways. Right. And she, but then she, uh, her whole t- PR team also needs fired because they have just been terrible. Her, her coming out saying media reports were wrong that I was gonna run. No, you were gonna run. You were on the start list. Yeah. Like you, you had every intention of running. Don't come out and tell me you didn't. Uh, her, just her, her PR team is not making it any easier for me to look at her and go, yeah, she's probably innocent. And again, I tried to look at it through a lens of how would I have felt with anybody else? I mean, I, Mo Farah, like, are we just going to believe Mo Farah slept through people knocking at his door now? Right. Yeah, because that's like one of the most basic things yeah. um, when it comes to anti-doping. And if listeners don't know, like as, a, as, a, as an athlete who competes internationally um, under you know, the guidelines of anti-doping, you have to report your whereabouts at all times. Right. Any trip you take, um, wherever you go, because um, basically unannounced anti-doping officials can show up and say, hey, we're here to deliver a test. We're here to administer a test. And if you're not there, uh, that basically counts as a missed test. And, and I don't know off the top of my head how many of those you get, but a missed test is essentially, it's a strike against you. And if there's so many strikes against you, um, you can essentially be suspended uh, for, for, not, you know, uh, for not working within the guidelines of anti-doping. And so that's when we talk about Mo Farah, it's like these athletes know this. You know, these athletes that run for these multi-billion dollar companies understand what is expected of them to, to conform to anti-doping policies. And so if your excuse is, well, I, I kept sleeping through them, bullshit. Right. Bullshit. You've got multi-million dollar contracts. You're working for multi-billion dollar companies. These people know what it is that's expected of them. And... Um, yeah, if they're skipping out on that stuff, like you just can't, you can't chalk it up to like, oh, well, it's an honest mistake. Once, sure. Multiple times like Mo Farah, no, not at all. You can't. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it sucks because it comes back to you. I, I come back to what you said about how like you have a little bit of skepticism of almost any endurance athlete. Yeah. Well, because... I mean, you, you had the, uh, a couple weeks ago, you had the, uh, uh, U.S. women's 10K record broken twice in a 48-hour period. Yeah. What's your initial thought? Well, <laughs> I mean, my, mine is they're not clean. I, I mean, and it just, it feels. Well, this is where the shoes come in, way. too. This is where yeah. the shoes come in, too. And that further complicates things is that, you know, again, and we've we've done an episode on this. The governing bodies that be never got out in front of the carbon fiber plate technology to come out and say, 
this is what is acceptable and this is what's not. They let the cat out of the bag to the point where the shoes were available mainstream. And, you know, unfortunately, private enterprise runs these things. Nike is synonymous with track and field. Um, you know, so the governing bodies aren't going to piss off Nike because they need that money. They need that publicity. And so once the cat was out of the bag and average people like you and me to get these shoes, you weren't then going to say, well, those shoes are illegal. Um, so, you know, it's like by not getting out in front and controlling that, you, know, you got to this point now where everybody uses carbon fiber technology. Every shoe company has some sort of carbon fiber plate technology. Uh, I mean, Des Linden won Boston in 2018 with a Brooks prototype that had carbon plates in it. So it, it makes it tough because there's just so many changes happening so fast that people that should be promoting and running the sport were either too lazy to get in front of or just didn't have the vision to get out in front of. And it makes it hard for fans like you and me to go, well, is this a legit win? Is it because they're not clean? Is it because they have shoes that other people don't have? And that's, um, that's frustrating. Yeah. I think it's just kind of how corporate America works in general. Everything is kick the can down the road. Yes. And we'll deal with it when it becomes a problem. Well, by that point, it's too big of a problem for you to handle. Yeah. It was It's just like the MLB with steroids. It yeah. was, wow, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, our regular season ratings are the highest they've ever been. I mean, mm -hmm. we were all, everybody, every household in America for an entire summer was watching baseball yeah. every night. Yeah. <laughs> Even if your team sucked because you hope to get that cut in from the Sosa-McGuire yeah. bats. And Bud Selig burying his head in the sand and the rest of the MLB higher ups doing that because they were, I mean, it was a cash cow. Yeah. We're, we're, this is doing great. We're, and you know, you, you knew what was happening. You had, you had the Jose Canseco's of the world who were starting to talk about this type of shit. And, mm -hmm. but you just buried your head in the sand, raked in that money. And then it's, wow, look at that. It's a problem. And the MLB has never been the same since the steroid era. Like you and I might watch it as massive sports fans, yeah. but it it's, it, it's ratings have taken a hit. It is not the, it is not the fa the nightly family event that it used to be. Right. When you and I were growing up, it well, isn't and, quite the same. And what's funny is that you think it's something that you can get past Right. You know, well, eventually those players retire and we move on to new players. And sure, all that's true. But then those players are eligible for the Hall of Fame. And so right. the debate gets renewed like, well, you know, Roger Clemens isn't in the Hall yet. He would have been without steroid taking over him. Um, Barry Bonds, obviously. I was talking about this with a regular uh, at work the other day. I can tell you how many home runs Babe Ruth hit in his career. Yep. I can tell you how many home runs Hank Aaron hit in his career. Barry Bonds is the quote unquote career home run leader. I can't tell you how many home runs he hit right? because I tuned out because I knew it wasn't legit. Uh, I tuned out. And to this day, I don't know how many home runs he hit. I, I, and I don't care. I truly don't care. And that's that you talked about how ratings are down. I am a huge, I'm a huge baseball fan. I'm a huge Indians fan. Um, but there's that little bit of apathy that goes, yeah, there's just certain elements of the game. I choose not to pay attention to. And when you're talking about trying to drive up interest in your sport, the worst thing you can possibly do is create apathy in fans that want to watch right. it. And 
these little things that happen um, just do more to drive up apathy within fans. And it gets to a point where your sport isn't growing. People aren't participating. And um, it's just so frustrating as you and I both love running. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that I'm the biggest track and field fan. I am when the Olympics are on. You know, I watch track and field religiously when the Olympics are on. Um, I, I don't pay nearly as much attention. And I don't feel like that's entirely my fault. I don't think track and field does a very good job of marketing itself in this country. Um, but I think things like this further make that a problem. Like, why pay attention when you don't know? I do legit? think I do think track and f- Okay, maybe it's the individuals in track and field have done a better job of marketing themselves. Yes. yes. Um, and kind of with it's kind of funny with, with it's similar to distance running. It's the the uh, the women do a great job of marketing themselves. Mm-hmm. As like even if it's just on social media, like I have a few uh, track athletes that I just love following, and yeah. uh, a couple of them are in the. Uh, running some finals today yeah but uh you know emma coburn obviously is going to be one of them because she Mm -hmm. is just an absolute freak uh and then then, like somebody like Corey mcgee who is hilarious and an awesome 1500 meter runner Mm -hmm. i love watching her run and uh, they're all new balance athletes i'm I'm partial to New Balance shoes, so yeah. they're they're who I tend to follow. Uh, but I mean, there's some really, really, really good, especially female runners that we've that many of us follow on social media, and it's it's allowed us to kind of get some rooting interest there. Yeah. Uh, but I do think Nike Nike athletes. I I do always kind of they're the ones that I kind of hold my breath on all the time. Sure. Because I do think Nike gets Nike is the Maguire and Sosa. Oh yeah, I mean it's yeah. You, know, you look at you look at everything they did with Alberto Salazar and how long they kept things mm-hmm. quiet. And you know, it's like it, it turns out it wasn't just you know it wasn't just uh, the doping issues. It was you know the body shaming issues with Mary Kane and just right, just really just defending well, an awful human being because he was delivering results. Right. Well, and as much as you and I love science, mm-hmm. the amount of money Nike has, there I can't fully say this for fact, but it's always felt to me like the goal of Nike is oftentimes to find what's illegal and let's dial it back to legal. <laughs> let's yeah. get oh, like yeah. as as close to that as we can without hitting yeah. that. And, and that, that I do, some of it is legit. I mean, sure. There are some supplements and stuff that, you know, you, everybody can take. Sure. But th- there's just something where it's like, there. that's my perception of that company. And even with Bowerman, as much as we all love Shalane Flanagan yeah. and Amy Craig, like we, we love these people, but I, I hold reservations about any Nike athlete clean or not because that's just how Nike operates. And I don't, I don't love it. Right. That's why I don't wear the only Nike gear. I, I can't tell you how ecstatic I was when the Columbus marathon announced they were moving to ASICs mm-hmm. because I just don't love Nike gear. I mean, yeah. And yes, some of it has to do with like child labor and stuff in China and how expensive right. everything is. Um, 
because there's obvious humanitarian issues that I think everybody has with Nike. Right. But I mean, that's honestly any shoe manufacturer too. <laughs> Don't look into your own shoes. Uh, although New Balance does. Oh man, I got to look. They've been trying to bring everything back to the States, but I'm looking at my iPhone right now and there's a lot of guilt. <laughs> um, and let me see what's, uh, can I get this? Hold on. Uh, uh, um, load, load, awkward silence, load. We are PC proud to be the- What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> we are proud to be the only major company to make or assemble more than 4 million pairs of athletic footwear per, per year in the United States of America, which represents a limited portion of our U.S. sales. Where the domestic value is at least 70%, we label our shoes made in USA. Um, our commitment to domestic manufacturing allows New Balance to employ American workers at our five facilities in Maine, Massachusetts. Whenever possible, we purchase materials from domestic suppliers who employ more than 7,000 workers locally. That's from uh, September of 2020. That's New Balance. So that's one good reason to support them. Yeah. I do like their new, I do like their running shorts. Shorts I raced in on Friday were New Balance. That's the first pair of New Balance I got. They're comfy. <laughs> A little long, but yeah, uh, I'm, I don't I'm remember pretty, where I was going with everything. I'm pretty so. comfortable with them and the length. So, did you look where Brooks was made? No, because you know what? The first time I put on a pair of Brooks shoes, I felt like I was putting pillows on my feet, and I don't need to get any more complicated than that. Uh, wow, more awkward silence. You were supposed to keep talking while I looked this up. I started looking it up didn't. too. <laughs> we had something else we wanted to talk about today too we just did kind of go off on our we we just wanted to i don't know sports kind of we just kind of got off to the races you know we did we did our show last week we we deviated and we didn't do a running show last week we talked about the Cavs championship in five years later and one of the few things I do like about social media is if you go on Facebook and you go and look through your memories, you can see like the things you posted on that day, however many years back. And I had forgotten, not from the lead up, but from the aftermath, just the number of awesome things that came out of that win. Um, you know, videos that were posted. I think Nike posted a video in the immediate aftermath of just like family celebrating. It was like one of those can things. Like they, they had a golden state video. I'm sure um, they had a Cleveland video, but they had overdubbed a few Cleveland media like responses and reactions to the win. And they were able to dub it into the commercial really quick and then release it like the next day. And I remember watching that and just loving it. The memes, my God, the crying Jordan memes of everything golden States, you know, <laughs> Aisha Curry, who had her cooking show and like one of the crying Jordan memes was like her mixing a bowl and the bowl and the bowl was the crying Jordan face. <laughs> and um, just remembering just not, not just the game, but then the aftermath, the reaction, just how much the entire city celebrated and enjoyed that moment. Um, right. It, it's been nice the last few days going back through that. And, I think tomorrow, today or tomorrow is going to be the anniversary of the parade. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing all those come up because even though I wasn't in town, um, I was living on 
Twitter and Facebook for that time <laughs> just to see what everybody was posting. And uh, I cannot wait to see those memories pop up. I was there. Yeah, I was, I was there. Very jealous. That was an incredible day. We waited like four hours just to get on the RTA. We we were like, oh, we're not going to drive. We're gonna um, we're gonna be smart. We're gonna take RTA. So we went and we we got a hotel right up in Brook Park, and okay. we were gonna hop on the RTA there. Well, we drove about a mile from our hotel, and we could, already couldn't find parking, and we were like a mile away from the RTA station. And it sucked. I really thought our car was going to get towed, but at this point I didn't care because right. I just wanted to be downtown, which, and in all reality, everybody could have driven downtown because everybody took RTA. Uh, and they were letting you park wherever you wanted. People were parking like on the berms of exit ramps and stuff. Right. Yeah. Like <clears throat> it, it was, it was incredible. I mean, there were projected to be a million people downtown um, or close to it. And that was, <laughs> It was unreal. I, I didn't catch much of the parade itself. Right. Hayes was three or four at the time. So, you know, we, he was in a stroller, so we weren't, you know, going everywhere, but we couldn't really catch too much of what was going on on the stage either. But that was just about being with everyone. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> looking back on that after the past year uh, where we couldn't be with anyone. <laughs> um it's pr pretty big uh pretty big change and i yeah but that whole i i watched all weekend i was watching uh highlights of especially game seven and just really getting and, and watching you know videos that i took from inside the queue and stuff i mean yeah. i seriously got emotional again watching it oh, i think yeah. especially with this being five years you know it, it was different and i think too with lebron being out of the playoffs this year he actually was posting about it on social yeah. media. Yeah. You know, and, and so those are the things where it's like kind of like we talked about last week. Um, you know, that that meant more to him. And yeah, it always will. And you can see that. I don't see him post about any of his heat championships. Right. I mean, maybe he does. I don't look for it, but that was that was special to him. That was different to him. And I mean, listening yeah. to his interview on the court afterwards, I mean, he even said it was different. Yeah. And yeah, I, I definitely got a, I got emotional with all of that. Even Kevin love posting stuff, even though he hates being here now. <laughs> it, uh, to be fair, I would hate being part of the Cavs organization now too. So, yeah, but I mean, I wouldn't, if I was getting paid the money he is, oh, I mean, I, I, I hate to pull that card because I I'm know. like, I'm pro labor, but dude, you did sign that deal. And I was so jacked when he signed that contract because I was like, Kevin love wants to be here. I truly thought Kevin love just didn't care about winning anymore because right. he was like becoming more of this mental health advocate. Right. And so I thought he was like, I got my one ring. I want to, this is just where I want to be. I don't really, I just want to play basketball here. I don't really, right. I really thought that's what it was. And then uh, it was all good for about a year. <laughs> and then it's been pretty rough since, but, uh, but he did, he chose to be here. So that's where I don't love the complaining and he's getting paid a ridiculous amount of money to be injured all the time. But I still love the dude because he's a great guy. He just has a shitty attitude when it comes to basketball right now. Yeah. And that's, 
that's one of those things. What's so hard as fans is there's only so much we know about the internal workings of a team um, and an organization. And, um, you know, having followed very closely the Browns for a long time, when an organization's dysfunctional, I think there's that, I think there's that desire to want to be part of a, of a organization, somebody that's delivered for you that you, that you sign up for. I mean, and would love to sign that extension. Number one, if you're the Cavs, I don't know why you sign him to that extension. Like when LeBron in the NBA, if you want to be good, you've either got to be really good or you've got to be really bad. So that you can get the guys that can get you good again. And you don't get to that level with signing guys in their prime or a little bit on the back end of their prime to very long-term deals. Um, so it's like the Cavs never should have offered that extension. Love should have never taken that extension. He should have just ridden off into the sunset, gone someplace else. Um, because unfortunately, I, I think Dan Gilbert's a shitty owner. Dan Gilbert without LeBron James has never had a great team. Um, so who knows? I It's one of those, honestly, like, unfortunately, when it comes to the NBA, I'm 100% a Fairweather fan. My team is really good. <laughs> I, I am. I just, I am. I don't love NBA basketball. When LeBron was on my team, it was really cool to watch because LeBron is just an all-time great player. We got to watch one of the top three greatest players of all time play in the city, and you would watch a, a random Tuesday night game, and there was that possibility, probability, that you were going to see something go down. It was like, holy shit, I've never seen that on a basketball court before. When that's not happening, it's like, eh. I, I'll say I... What really keeps basketball from being on my TV more than anything right now? Um, obviously, if LeBron were here still and the team was still a lot of fun to watch, I would uh, I would probably still have it on. But Fred McLeod made yeah games just fun to have on in your living room, and I miss him to death. I I, yeah. I really do. I, I I've never I. I love Tom Hamilton. I do. Tom Hamilton. I, awesome. I dread. I dread the day when he's not announcing the Indians games right. anymore. But I, I would. I would put McLeod up there with him. I, I really would. And maybe, maybe that's because I'm not from here. But yeah. I would. I, I just absolutely adored listening to his fandom call the game. Like he. He. He did not shy away from being a fan of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Right. And when you especially when you got his calls during the playoffs where he wasn't doing true broadcasts. Yeah. And so or and if he was like, you know, just announcing from the queue during an away game mm -hmm. for the Cavs TV broadcasts, he could really be a fan then. Yeah. Like when like his call when LeBron hit uh that three pointer against the Bulls. Uh, oh yeah, 2015. I mean, his voice is cracking, and he's jumping up and down and hugging Austin Carr in the middle of the call. So unprofessional, but I love every second of hearing that. Like, mm -hmm. I that those not having him makes Cavs games impossible to watch when yeah. the product isn't great. Because I, I, they would be on every night still if he was, yeah. if he was around. And I, I love so much that he was at the Oracle that night and that he got to experience that yeah. because he got to experience everything he needed. And he's a Strongsville kid. And to, you know, be the local guy 
calling that moment. I mean, I, when hit when his head when Beth McLeod's video when his head goes into his hands and you just see his shoulders just shaking up and down because you know he's just boohooing. Yeah. I lose it every time, and I always I just kept thinking that this whole weekend, like I just want to be back there. I want to be back in that moment. I never want to leave that moment. That was, gosh, that's why we're talking about it again. It's one of those things that I'm, I'm happy I've gotten better at as I've gotten older when it comes to sports is um, doing a better job. I think of staying in the moment with any given team. Um, Cause I think it's really easy to, you know, wish that your team is better. You know, to look at a team and be like, oh, man, you know, I really want this team to be better. You, you want them um, you want them to, like, be championship caliber. And, and, like, you know, the Indians are in this weird sort of transition phase right now. But what's funny is they have the, they had the best record last year through 64 games of any Tito Francona-managed Indians team, which is amazing when you consider the teams that we've had. It's like, this is probably not a championship team, but there's a lot of good stuff there, and, like, it might in the next couple of years might really be back at that level. And I like experiencing that. And the same thing goes now, I think for like when LeBron was on my team is it was really easy to take it for granted. Like this is always going to be the case. Yeah. And then those years fly by and you're like, well, shit, it's gone. And that, like you said, you want to be back in that, in that moment. And it's five years later and it's like, holy crap, it's five years later. And we got a couple more years out of him and those years were fun. But unfortunately we know how it ended with, KD going to the Warriors, and we just, we never got quite back to that possibility. Him going um, to the Nets has worked out great. <laughs> man, I was so happy. God, was I happy. Man, and you, that, that game to go to overtime, if he puts his foot just an inch further back on the line, they win that game, and it's done. Oh, Sports is man. cruel sometimes, and I'm so glad it was cruel to him the other night. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah I just... That's wonderful. I just think it's so. I just think it's so important, like as as sports fans, to just enjoy something really, really good when it's there, because eventually it's going to end. Yeah. And it's like, why, why worry about that? Just, just enjoy the really great things going on, even if they don't necessarily go the way you want them to. Because, man, we got to watch the best player in the world on our team for a long time. Yep, and there was always that possibility that you were going to see something, experience something that you've never experienced and seen before, and you don't always get that. That's oh, rarer than we think. Man, and when it was him and Kyrie, the chances of seeing it you were high because oh I mean they were gonna, yeah. they were going to do something stupid together. I mean there was that one uh, play in Game Six where LeBron stole the ball at like mid court. Mm-hmm. No, maybe this was like game three. It, it might have been game three when we just toasted their asses. But he he like steals the ball at midcourt and he like keeps his dribble somehow after falling down on the ground, passes mm-hmm. it to Kyrie, like threads a needle to Kyrie, who then lobs it back to him. And he sli- he was like on the edge of the key. And somehow his arms grew like three feet and he was mm-hmm. able to get it into the rim. And it's just like, Oh man, I remember jumping out of a chair during moments like that. And I, uh, oh gosh, I miss it. It was kind of nice. I'm not going to lie. Was it two years ago when we fight after he had left and, uh, 
I was, I was kind of like, ah, I'm kind of going to enjoy summers of not having to stay up till 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock every night and be on pins and needles and stressed out like crazy. But I miss it now. I tell you what, there's nothing I wouldn't give to set up a TV outside and just drink beer and be gnawing at my fingertips because my nails are already gone and having that stress hanging on every possession, I would give anything for it at this point. But uh, man, we, we just can't ever get to where we talk about Christian Erickson. That's fine. You know what? We hit on it last week. Now it's like so far in the past. I know. I just wanted to talk about that team captain, but we missed it again because I'm looking at the time and it's time for us to wrap this bad boy up. Sure is. Well, I'm going to hope that this records well and downloads well, because (laughs) this will be the first time in a few weeks that we, uh, we, we record first try. Yeah. So well done. Well done. Streamyard. Thank you for being better than the last place that we used. By a lot. Got our money back. <laughs> yes. Got our money back. I spent half of it already. Okay. On this. But okay. Yeah. We get we do have some really cool stuff uh coming up that we're gonna be talking about soon. Uh and so definitely keep your eyes and ears uh peeled for some of that. Uh some stuff with some of friends of the pod that we've had on recently. Uh we we got some things. Uh, we got some things in the hopper. The hopper. The hopper. Rice hopper. <laughs> no. Oh gosh, the, the Nationals winning the World Series after he left is the same. It is amazing, and it's like has the same feeling as the Nets losing Saturday night. All right. Well, that's it. We're done. And uh, we do ask, uh, make sure you subscribe, like, uh, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast platforms. That's going to help us become more visible to other people. And they can hear us talk about ridiculous things like Modern Family for like 10 minutes. And they probably won't make it past that unless they're big Modern Family fans. And then we'll be all right. But we're going to be back next week to continue talking about The Octagon. Uh, unless we change our minds again last minute. Uh, but if if we get back to that, we're going to be continuing to talk about training and different uh, training tools and how to use them. So the octagon. I'm just going to say it as much as I can. But until we see you next week, uh, we hope that everybody stays safe. Stay. Oh, I don't have to do that anymore. The pandemic nope. is over. Enjoy your miles, everybody. <laughs>